the word that I keep coming back to is uplifting. I have this conviction based on my lived experience that uplifting people or the planet doesn't have to be draining. It can actually feel uplifting to the person who's making that impact. Welcome to another episode of Uplifting Conversations. Uh, and this is another episode with founder and funder. We have Aaron Samuels from Collide Capital here with Sandra LaPlante from, uh, from Papaya. Uh, and so, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, so excited. And I, I will say at the top, uh, uplifting capital is an LP and in collide capital, uh, a, a very proud and a very happy LP, uh, but, but felt like that needed to be disclosed at the top. Uh, but this isn't about that today. This is more about, uh, the impact that you two are having, uh, both collectively and individually, and just sharing the story behind that and unlocking what your uplifters journeys have been. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So Aaron would love to love to start with you and first just have you tell uh, folks a little bit about uh, Collide Capital and what that journey has been now uh, raising this incredible fund and, and now deploying this fund and finding uh, amazing entrepreneurs like present company. Just share a little bit about Collide and what the thinking was behind it and where you are now. No, of course, of course, and you know you're you're a you're a proud LP. You know we we are proud to have you as an LP as, as part of the team. Um, so thank you, and it's an honor to be here on the podcast today. Collide Capital is a seed stage venture capital fund. We invest primarily in companies that have founders uh, that have um, a Black, Latin, or female founder as part of the uh, initial team of the company. We tend to invest at the seed stage. That means different things depending on who you ask. Um, so I'll say philosophically, we're a seed stage firm. Sometimes that means pre-seed, sometimes that means series A, sometimes it means seed extension, but ideally we are investing in companies after they've been incorporated. This is not idea on a page. Um, there's a real company to invest in, there's real traction, there's real progress, but before they've really hit escape velocity in terms of that inflection point of growth, um, when capital can still catalyze their uh, their journey. We're excited to do this work. Um, my partner, Brian, was a career investor, Goldman Sachs, Lightspeed, Slow. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a founder. Um, I founded a company called Blavity, grew it as chief operating officer. And so we like to bring both of those backgrounds to the table when we work with founders. Yeah, no, I, I your entrepreneurial roots came through even talking to you about the fund when you guys were still out raising the thoughtfulness with which you put together pitches, the thoughtfulness with which you put together the investment approach uh, did not just kind of reflect a thoughtful investors, but I, I felt like there were founder uh, operator fingerprints all over uh, what you guys have built, which, which to me is a good thing. So, yeah. Thank you. It, it's definitely true. Remains to be seen whether or not that's a good thing, but uh, <laughs> oh, it, it has operator fingerprints all over it. Oh, yeah. And, and Sandra, tell us a little bit about uh, Papaya and, and what you guys have built in our building. Yeah, of course. We are a curated marketplace, tech-enabled marketplace, and we believe that high-quality tutoring should be accessible to everybody regardless of their socioeconomic status or lang or native language or just racial profile. So yeah, so that's what we believe in and 
And that's what we do. We work with school leaders in the U.S. to bring this high-quality tutoring to every student in the classroom. Incredible. And Aaron, obviously, you're an investor. What what did you see uh, in, in Papaya and in Sandra that that uh, really caught your eye and and ultimately led you to invest? Yeah, I mean, many things. You know, she's an incredible person, and this is an incredible idea. I'd say before before singing Sandra's praises, I'll say that in general, when we look for founders, we're looking for a particular kind of passion. Oftentimes, founders, companies, etc., when when they when they go under, when they don't work, which by the way is most of the time. You know, I think I think the most recent stat I saw was that ninety seven percent of venture backed startups end up failing. So most of the time they fail. So why do they fail? Oftentimes you fail for one of two reasons. You run out of money or you give up. Um, so oftentimes what we're asking ourselves is, how do we know that this founder is going to be just as passionate seven years from now about this idea as they are passionate about it today? And one of the ways that we look to identify that is looking for founders that for some reason believe they've identified a hole in the universe that they are uniquely qualified to be able to fill. And I think that passion came through immediately when when we first met Sandra and, and started learning about what she was building, um, which at, at its core, and I'll, you know, I'll let Sandra talk about it a little bit more, but at, at its core, it's an arbitrage opportunity. There are incredibly high amounts of overqualified tutors all over the world that are not able to to get get payment for their tutoring services because of differing abilities and, and and access opportunities in their countries. And there is an overabundance of people that need tutoring services in the United States that can't afford those tutoring services locally and, and, and domestically. With the rise of Zoom and the rise of the kind of a, a, a more familiarity with kind of distributed education models and workplace models, um, with faster internet speeds and, and increasing access points, Sando saw an opportunity to take advantage of, of this arbitrage scenario and by doing so, create impact on both sides of this marketplace and creating impact for these tutors that are abroad to be able to have access to new clients and for an American clientele base that is in desperate need of these tutoring services. I thought that that was a brilliant idea. I thought it was a brilliant approach. And you could tell within the first 30 seconds of meeting her that she was not going to stop until this was done. Oh, my little impact investor heart is throbbing. <laughs> we, <laughs> we call it inclusion alpha, right? Like this this whole idea that there is not only uh, uh, opportunity gaps to be filled, but actually financial return on the other side of creating more inclusive marketplaces like the one you're creating. So, so how did you stumble upon, how did you find this hole, Sandra? And, and what made this the hole in the universe in Aaron speak that, that you wanted to pursue fix? If you're so right about that hole in the universe, we do believe that. Uh, so I grew up in Peru, uh, and, and I moved to the United States when I was 17, I did grow up, um, semi-privileged. So. You know, my parents worked really hard to provide private schools, private tutors, et cetera. So when I came to the U.S. 
tutoring was normalized for me, right? But I didn't have the money. What was what wasn't normalized? It was how expensive it was. I was like, how much is it here? I was like, um, so I couldn't always access tutoring. And when I actually like did save up the money because I put myself through school, I would um, have trouble scheduling a tutoring, right, with my tutors from here. So I needed to pass my classes. I was, you know, studying engineering. I got an offer from a Fortune 500 company, and I was like, oh my god, no! Like I have to pass this class. If not, my, you know, my dream job is gone. So. I got a tutor from Peru because I found myself in a, you know, in a position where I had to, like I had to make it and there was, there was no option. So I got a tutor from Peru. It was so accessible to me. Like, I don't want to use the word cheap, but it was, you know, like the most accessible tutoring and the best one, right? Because I was able to relate. Um, I think that also seeing somebody that looked like me on the other side of the screen, right? Made me feel comfortable enough to say, like, I don't get this like 10 times, right? And um, and well, last story short, I passed my classes. I went to work for Accenture, which was the company that hired me. And they moved me to LA where in California, where I travel all over the West Coast to work for companies like Google, Facebook, Intel, Starbucks, merchant acquisitions. I mean, it was my dream job because that's what I wanted to do, right? And that's when I noticed that I never saw people of color. And I was like, why am I the only Latina here? Not even Latina, but why am I the only person of color? Like that's how it boiled down, right? Not even the only Hispanic, but just person of color. And that's when I realized that you know, tutoring uh, is only accessible to wealthy people, right? And that I had, you know, quote unquote, hacked the system because I had access to tutoring and therefore I was able to pass all of my classes. And majority of the people who I was sitting on the table with also had tutors or were, or came from privilege, right? So I was like, well, what if, Tutoring was accessible to everybody, right? Because to me, tutoring is actually what's making the gap in education and between the people that have and have not even bigger, right? Usually tutoring is normalized in wealthy families. And, you know, like the people that need it the most don't have this resource who's that's making the gap even wider. So that's when I, you know, like, and I also worked in Silicon Valley. And I also worked at Google and Facebook. That's why I was like, and I was a consultant, right? So I came to solve problems and I, you know, saw the problems that they had. And I was like, I can do this. I was like, I can make a company. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like, and that was my dream, right? To make tutoring accessible the way that Uber had made taxi cabs accessible, the way that Uber had made traveling accessible on a budget. So. So that's, that was the dream and that's when I quit my job and I, you know, heard my calling and it said like, you know, like, this is the way that we can make the world a better place. You know, it's not just for the, as Aaron say, right? Like a lot of uh, companies fail, but to me, um, it's something that needs to be done. It's something that needs to happen, right? Like in, in, I do see a lot of people who have a lot of potential in emerging markets 
that cannot find jobs to me that's not fair right like if you have if you're smart and you have the willingness to work you should be able to open a computer and work and there are so many people who need this accessible resource in the u.s right now that we're working with a lot of schools in the u.s i notice how many kids are two three years behind on grades right so and, and if you think about it kids that are really rich in AP classes, they have tutoring, you know, so. It just, that, it, it so resonates with me. And like, so there, there's something so profoundly empathetic about starting with this uh, pain point that you had this, like this, this need that you knew because you had tutoring when you were in Peru and, and came here. And, and became sort of excluded from access to something that you have. But instead of just hacking the system for yourself, you get to this point where you go, you know what? I, I, I see this problem is bigger than myself and I'm gonna give up whatever it is that I've attained in terms of personal success to go at this for other people. I think that, that's incredible. That's a testament to not only your, your vision, seeing this as something larger than yourself, but also there's just something that's deeply empathetic about that. and. It completely resonates with me. I showed up at college totally unprepared from a study skill standpoint, right? And I, I fortunately felt like I had the ability to figure it out. I had an amazing guidance counselor who probably spent a little bit too much time with me and became my de facto tutor, kind of straightened me out and, and nudged me toward law school ultimately. But absent that person jumping, tutoring never even entered into my my consciousness. It was never within my awareness. And I just imagine having something like papaya where I would be able to affordably, <laughs> which is the key word, right? Affordably connect with this resource. It could be, it could be a game changer for a lot of people. And I'd imagine um, this conversation is even more relevant now with what we're seeing in terms of uh, admission standards changing um, and, and, and people of color, again, being sort of under pressure and the higher education system being back in the news. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you see um, papaya of of service in, in this climate in particular? Yeah, of course. I mean, to your point, um, right now that we can, you know, new affirmative action uh, be removed from our system, that's something that, you know, really bothered me and it hurt me because I talked to so many friends who do not believe in affirmative action. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I had a 3.4, but I worked three jobs to put myself through school, right? So my 3.4 is a 4.0 in my eyes. You didn't have to work. You had all the privilege, right? So to me, um, I think tutoring needs to be something that's, I think it just needs to be something that is accessible through the education system for everybody, right? Because it, if only rich people can afford it, then we're making this gap wider and wider. And now with the new affirmative action, I mean, we don't have the same resources. We weren't all born in rich families, right? And imagine not only like do rich families have kids in, you know, with the best teachers, all like right, like less problems because let's be honest, my, the lack of money also brings problems, right? Like growing up in an environment where you see shootings, your friends dying. I mean, that's happened to one of our like 
one of our students, she was from Brooklyn, actually the Bronx. And she told me, she's like, I cannot come to tutoring because I just learned that one of my, um, the kids that I used to babysit, he just got shot. And I'm like, that all, all of that brings problems. I mean, so I think that this is a resource that schools and colleges need to make available for everybody on a membership basis, right? Like, I'm like, you get to access 10 hours of tutoring, right? Like, and make it more normalized. Like to me, tutoring is the new therapy, right? Like therapy used to be a taboo and you didn't want to have a shrink, but now it's so available to everybody because we made media around it. So I think we need to involve politics again and make it available. And especially with the lack of, you know, teachers all over, right? In the education system. And I think one of the reasons why we switched papaya because we used to be only for college and like to families, we switched it to schools. It's because I was invited to speak at the National Association of Bilingual Educators, where actually um, the Secretary of Education also spoke because he was an English learner when he was little from Puerto Rico. And when I heard that there were so many immigrant kids or kids who were English learners, uh, who didn't have teachers, who didn't have teachers in the classroom. I was like, we're more needed there. I was like, I found the niche. We have bilingual tutors, so we can help all of these kids that are usually left behind. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I do believe that it has to be available to everybody because we're leaving behind so many little Einsteins that we're not discovering because... Mm -hmm. Right, like I, I struggled through algebra and I used to be like really good in math. And my my dad hired the teacher himself to come teach me at night. Like I don't think that I realized that was privilege, right? But now I do and I'm like, that's what rich families do in the US. And I think I had to have both experiences, right? Like growing up semi-privileged and being severely underprivileged when I came to the US, right? So I think I had to have those experiences to be like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. And I think that's like the hole in the universe that Aaron is talking about. Yeah, no, and it's incredible how how those intersections, that those places where we live uniquely become our opportunity to uniquely impact the world, right? That, that and, and, you know, I'm sure at some point that could have felt like a squeeze, right? Like, there, there, there are points where you might have been too privileged in a certain environment and felt like that made you an outsider, not privileged enough in another environment where that makes you an outsider. And the the integration of those two things uh, brings something in you that allows you to affect the world like no one else can. I I, I love that aspect of, of your story. And it, it's funny, you hear it showing up again and again in stories of people who are doing things that are truly impactful to the world. Like you are the one person in the world who, who could bring this to life. And it's incredible that, that you've done this. Yeah. Aaron, can, can, can you talk a little bit about how you see, uh, these, these patterns of, cause you, you talked about this, this, um, portfolio that reflects, uh, the diversity uh, of your team, um, and really reflects the diversity of the world, whether that's, uh, women founders, people of color, uh, how has that showed up in, in investment opportunities? How do you see that as an advantage? You are absolutely uh, looking for alpha. Uh, and so how does that bring you to founders of color or, or female founders on the team you fund? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and so for, first, I want to say that I, I believe that everybody should have access to opportunity. Um, I, I don't think there's any disagreements about that on this particular uh, call right here. Um, but when we say, okay, where, where do you focus that? Where do you focus in that? You know, because of course, of course, we care about veterans. Of course, we care about indigenous populations. Of course, we care about people of differing abilities. Um, those are not things that Collide Capital explicitly focuses on, though, in our mandate. Um, we focus specifically on, on Black, Latin, and female founders. Uh, why, why is that? Um, it's not just about equal opportunity um, or equal access to opportunity. It's also about the, the relative um, representation compared to the population index. And I think that that's something that Sandra and I are, are very like-minded about when, when, we, when we look at, okay, how, how do we do something that's disruptive? Uh, one of the reasons that we focus on black founders is because, you know, when you look at, you know, black people at around 10% of the U.S. population, but less than 1% of venture capital goes to black founders, that, that is a mismatch with regards to population index. If, um, if, if people of Latin descent are around, you know, 20 to 25% of the U.S. population, but there are only 2% of venture capital um, is going to Latin founders, again, that's a population mismatch. And, and don't even get me started on, on women and their, their percentage of the population, you know, women get less than 1% of VC funding, which is, which is a, a gross mismatch relative to population index, right? So, so, and the reason that, that that's important, it's a, it's a justice story, of course, but, but it's also just an overlooked opportunity. Um, if, if we believe that the solutions of the future are going to be built by the people of the future, then then we should at least be close to the population indices across fields. Um, and you know, when, when, when I talked to Sandra, she pointed out some very similar statistics when you look at the total workforce and when you look at population of the total workforce compared to the workforce in STEM jobs or total work workforce compared to um, workforce in technology jobs, we're also seeing black and brown representation significantly lower and the relative indices of the population, we believe that access to tutoring services can help make a dent in some of these mismatches, which ultimately is, of course, good for the people that are receiving the tutoring service and, of course, good for the tutors. But it's also better for the field. It's better yeah. for the industry because we have the people that are being affected by these problems actually also being the people that are solving the problem. This cuts across across everything. Yeah. And, and so... and. We also invest with a, a racial equity lens and a gender equity lens. And uh, I'll, I'll put the spotlight on you for a second here, Aaron, uh, because I believe that fund managers or investors uh, of color or female investors also are closing gaps and have advantages. Can you talk about how you and Brian have played to your strengths and, and why you guys have found yourself in positions of strength relative to investing in black founders, relative to investing in Latinx founders or female founders. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's I think it's because we come from these communities. Um, you know, point blank period. Brian was one of the uh, co-founding board members of Black VC. Black VC is now the largest black investor ecosystem in the world. Um, he has helped, and and his team has helped get hundreds of people access into the venture capital industry created something called the Black Venture Institute that created, um, a, you know, multiple cohorts of new black check writers, black senior executives that want to write angel checks. So all the way through the venture stack, whether it's the incorporation of new funds, 
whether it's new black check writers at senior levels writing angel checks or getting black folks into the associate and principal levels. Um, black AC is doing incredible work. And I spent 10 years running Blavity as chief operating officer. Um, Blavity is now the largest black media company in the world. And, and we created Afrotech, which is the largest, um, largest black tech conference in the world with, with a huge amount of, of access to black founders. And so when Brian and I said we were going to create Collide Capital, we didn't say we were going to raise a bunch of money and then go look for founders. Um, it, was, it was actually the opposite. Is we, we were already deeply embedded into these ecosystems of black founders and black investors. We just, we just didn't have any money. Um, and so we, we believed that, that once we raised this capital, we would be able to deploy it into, into folks that we, that, that we knew were truly incredible. And, and thus far, that's, that's what we've been up to. Uh, we've, made, uh, we've made 14 investments out of this newest fund. Out of our last fund, we did 30, 33 or 34 investments. Um, so we, uh, we have an incredible portfolio now of founders. If you go to our website, uh, collidecap.com slash portfolio, we put the faces of our, of our founders right on the website. You can see exactly who we invest in. We're not shy about it. Uh, we believe wholeheartedly in the people that we back. I love it. So, uh, I, I, and this, this is for, for both of you, like you, it's a bold endeavor. It's a scary endeavor to to start something from scratch in a highly competitive and not highly diverse uh, field, whether that's starting a fund or whether that's founding a company. Sandra, I'll, I guess I'll start with you. Like, what what gave you the courage to start in in the hope that that you could be one of the few who survive, and certainly one of the few women of color who who survive in the space. Um. <laughs> This is gonna get really personal. I remember I was um, arguing with an ex-boyfriend at one point, and he said, "You know, you're very relentless." <laughs> and, and I was like, "I am." Like, and just in every area of my life, I'm very relentless. And I think that stuck with me um, lo a long time ago. And then I, I think I do it for the mission like that's my main thing like that it's it, the right thing to do it's important it needs to be done and I truly believe in it um I think that I also have a lot of faith in God and I think that I walk on faith a lot like I think that um that you know like I learn how to build technology I work with in tech, you know, in the biggest tech uh, firm in the world, I work with, you know, the uh, top tech companies in Silicon Valley and, you know, I was good and I, you know, like I lost the, I guess, the fear of building something. I love building. I think the product management was something that I really love. I love customer centricity. And, but I think my, the unique experiences that I had along my way, right? Like we talked about me being like, um, you know, growing up semi-privileged, being underprivileged as an immigrant here. I also put myself through college and I was a server at Disney. So I think that being customer centric and customer service driven also helps me a lot in the UX and the UI and bringing a unique experience for every student. And for every school that we uh, work with. And I do think, you know, that I'm the right, you know, person that there's some, there's a reason why I'm here and that I 
and there's a reason why I've been so blessed to do this. Um, so yes, I think that, you know, I have a lot of grit, relentless, I don't give up. Um, and, and it just feels like my calling and, you know, like I, I think that walking away from a very cushy corporate job, um, was probably one of the hardest things to do because I have to give up a lot of my lifestyle, right? Like, and, um, and a lot of my savings, but I think that I'm also way too deep. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't give up now. We have to keep going. So, so, so yeah, I think that that's why I, you know, like, I think that I believe in myself and I believe in the mission a lot. And I think that if God put a dream inside of you, that means that that has to become a reality, right? Like I think that everybody's dreams, like I think we're all living in somebody's dream, right? Like I think that we're living in MLK's dream, right? Like little by little, God puts dreams in everybody to make the world a better place. Speaking to my soul right now. <laughs> well, I, we are we are very grateful uh, for your relentlessness because we're grateful for what you're putting out into the world. Aaron, you you were pretty comfortable yourself. <laughs> why <laughs> why strike out and and, and start this uh, crazy thing that now in the rearview mirror doesn't seem so crazy uh, with with Brian? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but you know, Sider's on the line, so we'll just say it. Like, until we can back founders like Sandra, mm. um, we we built Lavity. I'm proud of it. I'm incredibly proud of it. Lavity is one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. Um, we built something that, that we weren't supposed to do. You know, we weren't, we weren't supposed to take on, you know, the large media conglomerates. We weren't supposed to create something that was going to benefit black people. And we, you know, we, we weren't supposed to celebrate our joy and, and we, we did it despite that. Um, but the world, the world doesn't get better by the existence of, of just one blavity and, and could, you know, and while we we definitely broke barriers, I mean, at the time that we raised, we were one of twenty five companies with a black woman CEO that had ever raised more than a million dollars. Um, in in in, and that's in to to just be very clear, that's in the history of the world, um, <laughs> which which is just it's just absurd. These days, that number it's not that much better. Yeah, that was in that was in kind of I think that was in twenty sixteen that that list came out. These days, the number still hovers around a hundred. Um, that's abysmal when you think about the billions and billions of dollars of capital that were lost in value over the past six months with the market correction. Um, the world is better because Blavity exists. I think the world will be even better if a hundred Blavities exist. I think it's even better if a thousand Blavities exist, um, which means we have to do more than just than, than than just be comfortable and continue to operate what what we've built. Um, it's why all, all of the founders of Blavity, me, Morgan, um, Jeff, and Jonathan, have all outside of Blavity found ways of giving back to the ecosystem, creating nonprofits, and you know my way of doing that was through Collide Capital, so that I can back people like Sandra building Papaya um, and 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 the other founders in our um, in our portfolio. Incredible. And grab I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm particularly inspired by by both of you. How can how can folks who are listening uh, support you, Sandra, your work, whether that's potential customers or, or potential 
um, investors or or otherwise? How how can we support your work? Um, well, I think introductions to I think you know I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people in your network would know the right people in education, and we're talking probably at the state level. Um, so that would be great. Uh, we're trying to, you know, make it big in Texas, um, also Illinois, specifically Chicago, um, and other other states that we want to, like, you know, start spreading and setting roots in to begin with would be California, um, Florida, Maryland, New York. Um, and we're talking about the states, right, that have a high influx of immigrants right now um, whose education systems don't know what to do with this number of immigrants that are coming every day, that are going to school without speaking the language. And then second, I was just talking to uh, Aaron right now about our our press release. So it'd be great to have some um some interest to some media resources so we can start spreading the word about papaya and what we're doing, you know, not only for the U.S., but for the economic development of the world, right? Like of the emerging markets. So, yeah. Incredible. All right. And Aaron, how, how can we, how can we be supportive of you? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of ways, um, but, um, but I guess before answering that question directly, I also just want to point out that even that question in this particular container, I think is something that's really beautiful. And I think we should all just take a moment to acknowledge um, because this doesn't happen a lot. Uh, this is this right here in this moment is a podcast um, where we have a, a black LP who deployed capital into a 100% black owned GP and venture capital firm. And, um, and, and then we at Collide Capital then deployed that money into a Latina owned and operated solo founder startup. And so this, I think this is an example of the type of, uh, of circular ecosystem that, that we need to be creating. This is POC solidarity. This is impact. And it's also arbitrage opportunity. Um, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. Um, and so more of this is, is what I'll say. So for, 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 for the, for the listeners, you know, what what are ways that you can continue giving back and investing in ecosystems, investing in solidarity with people of color, investing in solidarity with immigrants and immigrant founders? Um, use Toussaint as an example, um, but let's not let's not have that example be an exception. Let's let let's let's make it the rule. Um, let's make this the norm. And so I want to shout you out and also encourage more of this work and more of this work from from your listener base. Appreciate you. Yeah. The world is better if a thousand upliftings exist uh, for sure. So Indeed. we need to continue to pull resources and, and pour into each other. Um, in closing, I'll ask each of you, what does uplifting mean to you? Jane, first. Go fly. Uh, to me, it's papaya. To me, it's, um, you know, looking back and extending your arm and uplifting somebody that is going through the same journey, right? To me, I'm doing both like the people, you know, of color that are in the US that cannot afford tutoring, I've been through that. And I know if I would have stayed in Peru, 
would have loved to have a part-time job they can provide, you know, while I'm in college. So both of them, you know, um, I think that to me uh, is uplifting, right? Like helping somebody, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and telling them that their past doesn't have to define their future. No. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to top that. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, if, if, if there's anything that I add, you know, it's, it's each one teach one. Um, it's making sure that, that for whatever weird combination of luck, fate, skill, privilege, we have all found ourselves um, in positions of power. Um, and I think too often folks find themselves in position of power and instead of holding the door open to let other people in, they close the door behind them or maybe passively they let the door close behind them without making more, more, more of an active effort to prop it open. And I think, I think what, what, what the two of you do on this call, what, what we try to do at Cloud Capital as well is once we, once we achieve some level of power, some position, um, instead of using that to, to climb kind of outside or, or beyond our community. Instead, rather, we say, no, no, now now this new landing, this new precipice, this is now where our community lives. We, we all live here now. Um, let's, let's keep the door open. Let's let everybody in. Let, let's help everybody up. And, and for me, that's, that's what uplifting. With, with a heart full of gratitude, I will say, uh, Sandra and Aaron, you are uplifting to me. Uh, I appreciate you guys joining the conversation and this has been incredible. I know it's going to be of service uh, to many people. So thank you. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and click the notification button so you never miss an episode.